Hi, and welcome to RPG Hour. We are a podcast made by everyday gamers for everyday gamers. None of us are special or famous. Uh, well, I take that back. We do have somebody that works with us that's sort of famous, I'm but famous not in, in the RPG. Not you. We have somebody that works in the comic book industry that does participate in some of the stuff that we do. So he's not exactly RPG famous, but we, we really do try to make stuff for the everyday gamer. And we have some stuff that's going to be on our websites, easy guides, reference sheets, things like that to a lot of systems, as well as sometimes our own version of character sheets, stuff that we use in-house for fun or because a friend uh, decided to challenge us. So my name is Larry. I'm also known as Mr. RPG Hour. My name is Chelsea. I'm known as Mrs. RPG Hour. And you might hear some background noise. Uh, that is our daughter, Mini RPG. Uh, at the time of this recording, she is 16 months, and she has decided that our Zoom recorder is her new toy, and we are doing everything in our power to make sure that she does not get a hold of it. Uh, so we've actually both been gaming for 14 years. Not together, but we have both been gaming for 14 years. We've been gaming together for the past six years. That's actually how we met. But basically, I grew up gaming. My dad is a huge nerd. He's been gaming, you know, for years and years and years. Not to make him sound old or anything, but he's been gaming longer than I've been alive. And so growing up with that background, you know, it only seems natural that I would find someone who has same interests as I do and been gaming for about the same amount of time as I have. And I didn't really have that kind of a background. I was raised, uh, my parents weren't the most religious, but pretty much if it didn't have to do a church, they didn't want to take the time off to take me very many places. It was just, we lived kind of far out of the way and it just, it was a lot of energy. So uh, most of my time growing up was uh, going to the comic book store, actually going to a big gaming store here in town is where we used to go pick up our comic books. And uh, every so often I'd get to buy a miniature and I would paint these miniatures, but I never had anything to do with them. Though I will say 90% of my miniatures back in the day were all Battletech. I had a nice little non-functional army of Battletech miniatures, but my dad, the only thing nerdy about him was that he was really into comic books. In fact, he has some early Superman comic books. Uh, he was a DC fan. He loved Green Lantern. Uh, we used to have arguments about Marvel versus DC all the time, so it's very easy for me to say uh, Marvel wins just because uh, the movies are a lot better than DC, so that's uh, my personal opinion. So today we are talking about our top three fantasy RPGs. So the way that we defined fantasy, the way that we defined how we were going to choose our top three for a fantasy RPG is that we had to rule out a couple of things. So the first thing that we ruled out was urban fantasy. Urban fantasy, while technically has fantasy elements, it's modern day and things like that. So we had to eliminate that. Uh, we also had to eliminate anything that is futuristic. So we wanted something that is, for a lack of a better term, medieval fantasy. Uh, basically, if it's not set in the far past, we didn't go with it. There are some cool post-apocalyptic settings out there that are kind of a mix between you know, have huge fantasy elements and, you know, some post-apocalyptic wastelands, but we, we didn't include those either. To simplify, it's, you know, classic Western fantasy. You think of Tolkien and, you know, Lewis Carroll and things like that, where it's more centered around, you know, the medieval era than than anything else. With starting with our number threes, uh, on the top three list, mine is Earth Dawn. So Earthdawn is, to me, just a fascinating system. Uh, not 
if even if you strip away the entire setting, uh, take a look at everything else from just a simple mechanics. I really enjoyed the idea of Earth Dawn. Uh, Earth Dawn had steps, and the way that the steps were is depending on what you were doing with your stats and everything related. Uh, you had steps that you looked at, and these steps were like a D4 minus two, you know, a D6, a D8, and so it was kind of interesting because uh, it was a die. And I mean, there's there's a couple of systems now that have done something very similar, um, but I feel like they're piggybacking on what Earth Dawn did, um, and it just it does not relate to the amazingness that was the original. Um, not saying that those games aren't awesome in their own right, just that in and of itself, Earth Dawn created something amazing, and they have an amazing way of doing it that just has not been fully replicated. So Earth Dawn has a couple of things that really stood out to me. Uh, first off, uh, I got the original one, which came, originally came out in 1993. I did not get this uh, when it first came out. I got it in the early 2000s while I was in high school. And I picked it up, and it was at a uh, used bookstore. And I just I fell in love with the cover, first off. I mean, the cover is just amazing. If you're at a computer or you know, you're know you at a device where you can look something up, go ahead and just Google the Earth Dawn first edition cover. Uh, to me, it's just a very interesting look. Um, and so the art is what drew me in on this. So that was, that was kind of the first thing. And when I cracked it open, uh, at the point that I had purchased this, I'd already played uh, a bit of Dungeons & Dragons and some of White Wolf. And so I'd already had, you know, a couple of systems under my belt and I felt, oh, hey, this is probably just something for D&D. When I picked it up, I said, oh, there's other things in D&D out there. And that was kind of a spiral into my addiction of role playing games. Earth Dawn definitely set itself aside because the setting is very awesome. And so there's this just the evil is already in the world. The evil is there. It already exists. It's been here. It And it kind of just it's like a plague on the earth and it's just so interesting to me that it's already there because one of the things that always gets me about uh the way some settings handle like powerful evil entities that are out there that the characters are going to encounter it's just always so a portal has to open and things have to come out or this has to happen and this has to happen you know and instead this is already there and i really liked it because at this point i've already read the Cimmerillion, Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, you know, I mean, so at this point in my life, I've already read those things, and I wanted something where the evil power was there in the world, and you didn't exactly get that with D&D in the same way um, that you do with uh, Bar Save, um, at least not with the settings that I'd encountered, and I started with 3, went to 3.5, and in all honesty, we pretty much just played uh, some home homebrew worlds and some generic stuff from Ge Greyhawk and so there wasn't anything just over the top here's this evil thing go defeat it you know I'm like we didn't have that in those games and I was missing that so when I picked up Earth Donna I got that you know um and uh but that wasn't the only thing that drew me in Instead of just having the generic races, they do have dwarf, elf, human, they also have orcs and trolls. They had uh, this really cool race and Please don't butcher me, Earth Dawn fans. I am one of you. I just, this is how I say it, Obsidimon. Obsidimon are a large rock-based humanoid. Don't go directly to Elemental. Yes, they look like an Elemental, but they aren't, I, and this is my opinion on Elementals, Elementals are somewhat generic. If you have a Fire Elemental, it's going to spit fire. If you have a Water Elemental, it's going to use water. The cool thing about Obsidimon is that they are not just locked into that. They can become anything. They can be any of... 
uh, the classes, they can do any of the things that they want to. And so that's why I think they're so interesting is because it's like taking an elemental and being like, nah, you go do what you want. And uh, so Obsidian are one of my favorites. Another one is uh, the Descrang. Uh, once again, please do not murder me in my sleep. The Descrang are really cool because they are this reptilian-like race. Um, I mean, it's hard to describe them exactly because they kind of look like dinosaurs. They kind of are like a mixture between dinosaurs and lizard folk and amphibians. And I mean, th there's just this 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 not generic lizard people race thing about them. And that's why I kind of really liked them. Um, they possess flaps of skin that actually kind of allow them to kind of like glide. And so it, it, it's kind of a very interesting race to pick because it's not like picking a, a race that you're going to see in any other, any other game. I've yet to find a race that looks and interacts the way that they do. And I really like them. I think they're a very awesome, unique thing to Earth Dawn. Uh, the other one that uh, really stands out to me is the Winglings. Uh, they're a small pixie-like race. Um, they're described as looking like elves with insect-like wings. To me, it reminds me of some of the old legends and lore of fairy and pixies that you get from different countries. But, I mean, it's... And they remind me of Kinder. They really, really do. Um, the halfling-like race from Dragonlance. They're not your normal everyday little creature that's just stuck in there for you know here's a small thing because uh here's a small race because people like small races no like they are full-on kleptomaniacs uh the other thing that reminds me of is the dragon quest role-playing game that came out by spi their halflings literally have in the race description that they can walk up to the edge of a volcano throw treasure into the volcano and nobody bats an eye and, and so, so that's just, that's what these winglings are like. I mean, you just expect them to steal. It's, it's like having a rogue in the party, even if they're not rogues. I mean, they're kleptomaniacs. It's just their nature. And um, so, I mean, it, it's really cool. Earth Dawn is just a very unique way of doing things. Um, their magic is different. Their game mechanics are different. I really do like the steps. I'll be honest, I've never had a character with low steps, uh, so I always usually had like a D8 or higher on my stats, um, so I never found it too difficult to get through things, but I know that there are some people out there who had characters that started it like with stats at step one and things like that, and so it's, I know sometimes it can, you look at it and be like, oh no, I can't do anything, but unlike some games out there, there are some other systems that do the same kind of thing where your stats are die instead of being a number that it sometimes feels like because there's not that many steps because you only have the regular polyhedral set d4 to d20 that you don't have a whole lot of room to grow versus this uh i mean it just keeps going when you get up to where you'd have a d20 it's actually 2d10 and then the next step is a d12 and d10 and then it's a d20 and a d4 and so i mean you've got this this just nature about it uh, I have played 1st Edition, I've played 2nd Edition, I've played the Classic Edition, I have not played the 3rd Edition, I have read it, I have not played 4th Edition, I have only read the Quick Start. So, uh, currently, in, I only own 1st Edition on the shelf, that is not why I picked 1st Edition. 1st Edition is my number 3 because of nostalgia. It just, it ticks that box for me. It, um, it's always going to be my number 3. Uh, no matter what happens, no matter how many amazing systems come out, 
Earth Dawn was the first time that I stepped out of D&D and I picked up a book and I wanted to play it because I wanted to play it. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with D&D, but the main reason I got into D&D is because that's what the group was playing. I picked up Earth Dawn. It was my choice to pick it up. It was my game to pick up and play and run. And so Earth Dawn's always going to have this special place in my heart. So, I mean, we might, might make an episode, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the line being like, hey, let's talk about our top threes again. This will be my number three. I guarantee you it'll be my number three for nostalgia's sake alone. And so uh, I give it a 4.5 out of 5 uh, possible points. And this is simply... I've been gaming for 14 years. I've been running for 14 years. Um, and this just ticks all the boxes. If you get a chance, go pick up a copy of any of the um, versions out there. Um, second edition was done by a different company. Uh, FASA did the first edition, second edition. I want to say Living Room Games. I believe it was Living Room Games. And then uh, there's another company that came and did... Uh, the classic stuff um, and they did a really good job in reviving the classic and giving the classic that feel I, I feel like it was good I know that there is some controversy because they did they revised a lot of stuff they introduced a lot of new things I, I don't feel like it was that out of place me personally uh, but that's kind of not I know that that's not the biggest and most popular belief third edition was okay I don't know how I feel about third edition still I haven't really gotten to play it. I haven't really gotten to run it. I've just read it. And then on 4th edition, uh, so far what I've seen, I like. And I am just haven't had a chance to sit down and play it. So uh, eventually one of these days I will actually buy it because all I have is the uh, quick start guide. Um, and then I'll totally get into that. But if you get a chance, I, I give it a thumbs up. I give it a go check it out uh, if you have a chance. 1st edition is the one that I'm definitely peddling. But I mean, you know... Earth Dawn, if, you, if, if nothing else, pick it up for the setting. Uh, and now, Mrs. RPG Hour, what is your number three? Oh, man. Okay, so um, my number three, I uh, decided to edit it on the fly, actually. Um, so we're going to do... Okay. We're going to do... Uh, when she says she's editing it, we actually write out little... Uh, prompts. Of paper that are prompts that give us, hey, this is what everything is. This is what we're doing. Mine is extremely wrinkled because it was ripped out of my hands by a toddler and then flailed around a bit. But, uh, so my number three top RPG is going to be D&D 3.5. It was going to be a toss-up between 2E and 3.5, but, you know, what I played more of out of the two was 3.5. And, yes, it was a home-ruled version of 3E. There There are some rules in there that really just make it hard to play sometimes and so that was the first rpg we actually played ever both my brother and i my dad run it ran a game for us and so it's got a a big nostalgia sticker on it where it's like if i want to you know run something that i'm familiar with and comfortable with i think it's something that everybody knows um 3.5 was a very popular system and so 
whenever you're trying to introduce new players into tabletop role-playing, I think it's a good one to kind of introduce them to, like, hey, your friends probably played this in high school and middle school, so you're familiar with what the books look like, and you're familiar with what everything, you know, the general terms and everything. I think it's something that, if you have a good GM, it's something that's very easy to jump into and have a really good session and a really fun adventure without a whole lot of fuss and muss and one-page character sheets rather than 12-page character sheets. What she's making a slight at is one of the games that we played early on in our relationship uh, has a very has a very numerous paged character sheet. Everything has a page. Everything has a page. You know what, but you enjoyed yourself. It was fun, but oh my gosh, that was you have a binder for your character. So on three three five, um, I will say three zero was always kind of my favorite, but that's because I've always played rangers and archers, you know. Right, and they and, had a better go of it in three than three fives. Two and extend. Deepwood sniper and the oath bow and all of that made it so that you could do more damage than a D four with your bow, and that that always made that always it always upset me when I played D and D because I couldn't do the Legolas shot. You know what I mean? Like I couldn't. Not that I expect to one-shot people with a bow, but it'd be nice to at least do more damage. Right, and I think, you know, depending on what class you want to play, what kind of action you want, there's going to be different RPGs that will cater to those wins. 3-5 is not going to be the one where you can absolutely play Legolas and, you know, pull off those amazing trick shots and, you know, be felling orcs left and right with just your bow and a magical quiver of arrows that never seems to be empty. Because it's something that everyone's familiar with, because it is something that's in pop culture, it's something that's really easy for new players to jump into, and I think that that's part of why I pick it for, you know, sort of a classic fantasy system, because it's it's something that everybody knows. You can drop a D&D book on the table and everyone's like, oh, okay, cool, I know what we're doing, roughly, even though I don't know what we're doing, so... Yeah, no, it's, um, I mean, even, even today, even with as much as geek culture is more popular and more well-known, if I say I'm playing a tabletop role-playing game, people go, huh? If I say I'm playing D&D, even if I'm not playing D&D, yeah, they're like, oh. I get it, I know what you're doing. So, what is your favorite D&D published setting? By Wizards or TSR, from that line of things. Okay, so, basically... Most of my experience, and so again, this will be just purely from a nostalgia standpoint, most of my experience is in Forgotten Realms or homebrewed um, settings. So, I mean, and Forgotten Realms is kind of one of the more popular settings, too. Like, everyone's kind of familiar with all of the, you know, main, I say main characters and in air quotes here but everyone's more familiar with the main characters of you know forgotten realms than they are with most others so you're really enjoying that 5e is kind of geared more towards forgotten realms well i mean i wouldn't necessarily say that i'm kind of feeling partial to it over any other version of DD. For me personally, there are better systems for fantasy for me to play, um, but I do think it's interesting that they took a setting that they know is popular and geared at least the starting bit of their modules and setting notes and things like that towards 
Forgotten Realms because it's it's something that is familiar. Oh yeah. So for those of you that are picking this up and because you are interested in trying to learn a little bit about RPGs, uh, D&D is obviously the most popular out there. Um, since 3.0, they changed uh, to where you have to roll above the armor class to attack your enemy. Uh, before that was a system called Thacko. Woo, Thacko! <laughs> I'm actually a fan of Thacko. Um, I, I stand alone in this household. I mean, it's just... I mean, it, Thacko is what it is, honestly. Like, if in a way, they simplified it whenever that you're dealing with armor class. But it, it, it just depends on what flavor of D&D you're going for. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But, uh, so, the main mechanic is rolling a d20. Uh, so you roll a d20 for attacking for your skills. It's, it's the main mechanic in dice. Uh, and then depending on what type of damage or other different types of things you're doing, you're going to roll the other dice that are involved. Um, and so the, the polyhedral base set that you can get at pretty much any store is going to have everything that you need for D&D. 5e does require an extra d20 or you can just roll your d20 twice. Yeah, um, and you just make sure you take notes and everything. But, but that's, I mean... For simplicity's sake and, you know, as far as my rankings go, I mean, that's why I kind of picked D&D as my number number three choice rather than anywhere higher because, like I said, there are other systems that that play better to me as as a player at a table um, that if I wanted something, you know, classic fantasy, I would really go more towards that because I would want to be doing, you know, these epic adventure type things and in D&D you can't necessarily do that I mean you can to an extent but if that's what you're looking for pretty quickly in your your session in your game it, it's not going to happen but that's why I gave it um, a solid three um, on my rankings um, scale of one to five and you obviously do recommend it for people because it is on your top three right yeah because you know it is something that is easily accessible. It is fairly quick to pick up with the rules and everything. It's something that you can... It's a good starter RPG because it has a lot of history. It has a lot of foundation. There's a lot of people that are familiar with it. So it's it's a good starter <coughs> RPG. And then you can kind of move on from there <laughs> as your palette refines. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to go over to our number two. Uh, so my number two is uh, Escape from Teddy Bear Island by Orcs Unlimited. Uh, so Orcs Unlimited is an indie game company. They've got some great stuff. Pat writes these games. Pat's an awesome person. Um, I've We have gotten half of our collection of Orcs Unlimited games we have purchased, and the other half uh, Pat sent over to us and said, hey, take a look, let us know what you think, and... Uh, we're going to have some episodes dedicated just to each of the games, whether we've purchased them or not. Um, it, if you send us something, we'll give an honest answer about it. We're going to give an honest uh, look at it and everything like that. Yeah, we'll uh, try it. You know, we'll, we'll play test stuff. We'll see what we think of it, you know. And with the Orcs Unlimited stuff, I mean, they're super quick, easy to pick up. You can, it's almost like 
an RPG you can travel with, and you just need a sheet of paper and some dice, and you're ready to go. And we've literally done that before, actually. We have literally done that. Now, not all the Orcs Unlimited stuff is the exact same. Not every game is the exact same. And so um, if you're used to one of the systems and you pick up another one of the books, uh, do not expect them all to be the same. Uh, Escape from Teddy Bear Island is really, really awesome. So the setting idea is that instead of necromancy, you've got these people who are called fluffomancers who summon living stuffed animals like the undead. And it's just interesting because you can you can you can always get a feel for indie games uh, and what the what the playtest group put into it because of little things here and there. Uh, but with Orcs Unlimited, in Orcs Unlimited, a majority of the items or um, the just like special things that you can kind of find around uh, the island are based from the group. And I mean, it's just interesting because you can see like stuff named after their characters and stuff. And it's really cool. And um, if you ever have a question about something, go on Twitter, Orcs Unlimited, tweet at Pat. He'll get back to you. And uh, it's uh, we found something in the book where there was uh, one of the rules was missing for Fluffomancers specifically. And it was not you know it wasn't like um you know trying to find you know a, a frequently asked questions or an errata or somebody on a forum i emailed pat he got back to me he sent me what the rule was i wrote it down in the book and i mean it was same day and so i mean it was uh, now not all the responses i've ever gotten to or from pat have been same day it's been it's been a lot of fun uh playing pat's games uh so um teddy bear island uh the main system behind it is you roll a d6 and it's a pool system so Whatever your stat is is how many dice you roll, and if you get a six, you do it. I don't know. Something about pool system RPGs, just they just make me smile. Something about rolling an ungodly amount of dice just makes me happy. <laughs> well, and the cool thing about it was is that they took the generic, and I don't mean generic, but like all these, uh, there, there are so many different pool systems, and they've all got this, you know, you roll this to do this, you roll this to do this, this is your target, whatever. And Pat simplified it. And in Escape from Teddy Bear Island and in Bug Hunt, it's a very, very simplified, if you roll a six, you do it. If you roll anything else, you don't do it. And it's that, that, that simple. Um, and, you know, if, if you get additional sixes over the one six that you need, and that's the thing. It's not just if you roll sixes. If you roll a six, you complete your task. You do it. And I just, I found that so fascinating. It was so easy to pick up. It was very pass-fail, so it's like there's no, you know, it, it scales based on, you know, what exactly you roll, but it's one of those things where it's like, did you do it? Yes? Cool. Moving on. It was very quick, so you got through combats quickly, you got through trying to do things with your character quickly, you know, trying to accomplish tasks quickly, so it was very, you know, you could move through an adventure and it felt more seamless than a lot of other systems where you're sitting there and you're rolling dice, doing math, checking charts, all the charts, and um, trying to figure out, okay, so finally, this is what my character has accomplished. In, you know, Escape from Teddy Bear Island, it's like, okay, cool, your character does this thing, let's move on to the next person, and we're moving on to the next task, and okay, this was successful, or no, it wasn't successful. It was very easy to get really immersed into the story that you were playing through, and you don't get pulled out of it as much trying to figure out what you're doing. Yeah, and it's it, it's so simplistic, it's so amazing. My nephew, uh, my eldest nephew, uh, he turned 11 this year. Uh, for the past few birthdays, he's wanted me to come over, to, and uh, we went over there, and we ran a game, and he got a bunch of his friends to the table 
So his first ever gaming book that we bought him was uh, The Fantasy Age by Green Ronin. Then this past year, I, I've, I've showed him the books. I've played some Orcs Unlimited with him. He's been really, really into it. We got some copies of uh, Escape from Teddy Bear Island and uh, the add-on book, which adds an additional class and a race, one or two races or one or two classes. I can't remember. But there's also a book called Return uh, to Teddy Bear Island that adds a bit more. And these books aren't that big. They, I mean, these this game really is affordable. Um, the PDFs are just, I mean, it's... I buy them for people on occasion just because, uh, because they're so cheap. And I don't mean cheap as in like the product is cheap. I mean like it just price wise, it, it is a very affordable game. If someone's interested in looking into starting to play role playing games, it's a very easy one to gift someone because you get that, you get them a couple of dice sets so that they can have, you know, multiple people at the table, some of those, you know, D6 bricks or whatever. And it's a really nice gift for someone that's just starting out you know, to play RPGs and it is pretty affordable on that front. You're not paying, you know, 50 bucks for a book that they may or may not really get into. So it's kind of economic in that sense. Escape from Teddy Bear Island is my number two pick. And I actually give this one a 4.5 out of five as well. Um, it's, it's a very easy game to pick up. If you are looking for something to play with your friends, if you're looking for something to, uh, for a beer and, nuts kind of game for the beer and pretzels kind of game for just something quick and easy this is a great system if you're looking for something for a fun out of the weirdness campaign it's a lot of fun as well um it's just unusual too it's an unusual system i actually did a little bit of um i I tweaked some of the curse of strahd stuff and i ran a small game online with some people uh and so it was um it was Ravenloft uh, version of Escape from Teddy Bear Island, and uh, it was a lot of fun. And I mean, it's 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 not that hard to really tweak things with the way that Pat writes them. So, uh, if you get a chance, go check them out. So my number two fantasy RPG is gonna have to be the Age System um, by Green Ronin, and specifically, I started with the Dragon Age version of the system. Um, it's a little bit different than the standard age system, so it, if you buy the Dragon Age rules, I would recommend getting the age rules as well, because there are some differences. So if you wanted to do something that wasn't specific to the setting of the video game Dragon Age, you would need to get that other book. But I started with Dragon Age because I... She's an encyclopedia of Dragon Age. I'm an encyclopedia of Dragon Age knowledge. I know... A little bit of Kunari, um, like it's it's, it's bad. <laughs> it's, there's very there, there's very few books on our shelf that are. I will step back and I will go. I am not running this. This is her thing to run, and it's because she just she knows so much of the lore. She knows the system. It, it tickles her in a way. Um, it's that, very simple. It's very easy to run. It's very easy to create an environment for players that. And I'm coming from a, pl- a running it stance rather than a player stance, which is unusual. But it's very easy to create an environment in which you're going to have some of those epic moments. Like we're using the analogy of, you know, Legolas and stuff. It, we can set that up because um, it is um, a success-based system. Um, it's D6s. And then you have basically a die that's dedicated for essentially trick shots which 
is awesome. <laughs> yeah, no. So the way that it works is um, unlike some systems where your special die is only for like combat or you know this one thing, um, you can actually end up getting. So in, in in the age system, you've got this really neat mechanic where uh, if, if you roll two numbers that are the same on any of the 3d6 that you've rolled, there's a die that's a different color than the others, and that dedicated die gives you these stunt points. And these stunt points are, there's role-playing stunts, there's spell stunts, and there's combat stunts. And, and I think it's really interesting that you've got this, no matter what you're doing, you can end up stunting. Um, or getting a stunt and, and doing something even more cool, getting an extra attack, boosting your attack, boosting your spells, boosting what you're trying to do. I believe there's a boosting of defense in there too, so it's like yeah. you can, you know, there's just so much to it, and it's very simple, very easy to pick up. Um, character creation runs really quickly, which is good. I like systems where you can jump in and go. Um, cause I want to get into the adventure. I want to get into the story. I want to start killing stuff and fighting stuff and, you know, sneaking around and doing basic murder hobo things. And so most of my picks are kind of geared towards that because that's, that's what I'm into. You know, some people really enjoy character creation. And so some of the more complicated processes for character creation, you know, that's really their cup of tea, and I, I don't get it, but, you know, whatever makes you happy. <laughs> so one of, the, one of the interesting things about the age system, um, the way that they did it, is that uh, it, it's, it's very simplistic. You've got three classes, um, and these three classes are built around a, a very simple idea, um, and you can go out there and check it out. Um, if you're a fan of um, Geek and Sundry, then you know of the Titan's Grave uh, that they did um, for Age. Uh, if you're a Dragon Age fan, you may have already come across Dragon Age. I, however, am a fan of a, of a setting called Blue Rose. And uh, that's actually how I first heard about the Age system is because I'm a big Blue Rose fan. And they I, I was a big True 20 fan when um, people were making breakoffs of D20 back in the day. And Blue Rose was one of the ones that caught my eye. It's a setting that's just, it's, um, uh, it's described as a romantic fantasy. And um, romantic fantasy is romanticizing the fantasy. And they, they've got some really cool things in there. Um, and so the, the age system kind of breaks this stuff down. Uh, it simplify it. Uh, they, they simplified everything down. And it was just a beautiful way of doing things uh, that I'm not really, I haven't really seen in other games, um, I mean, you kind of had this back in the day with some of the breakoffs of D20, um, and even in even in one of the D20 books, uh, they had like how to how to break everything down to just three classes, and um, it just kind of stands it stands the time the test of time is what this does because it allows you to build everything up and kind of focus on that. <clears throat> if you're if you're not familiar with the age system, definitely go check it out. They've got the fantasy age, which is your everything fantasy. Uh, for the fantasy age thing, they have a, a setting called Titan's Grave, which is really cool. It is a bit steampunky, is the best way to describe it. Go check out um, Geek and Sundry to kind of get an idea of what they did with that. Uh, they've also got Dragon Age. They've got a lot of stuff for Dragon Age. It's really cool. Blue Rose is a step off of the beaten path. 
Um, I really still am wanting to get the Blue Rose dice set that they have. Um, uh, Mrs. RPG Hour is actually uh, colorblind, and so the dice are very difficult for her to read because they are a baby blue with white. Yeah, it basically looks like a white die. <laughs> Entirely uh, white. Can't read the, the pips or anything, so I'm like, okay. The age system also has a couple of other things out, um, but they did come out with the modern age. Modern age looks very awesome. Uh, it's a way to kind of pick up and do modern day things, modern era. Um, if you're looking for something a little more modern, um, <clears throat> that is definitely a system for you. Uh, in regards to Green Ronin, Green Ronin makes top quality products. That's one of the things I like. If I pick up a Green Ronin product, I know that I'm picking up something that's well-made, that's, in my opinion, that's well-made and that's going to stand. You know, I'm going to look at the shelf years down the line and be like, yeah, I've got that Green Ronin product right there. I want to go play it. I, I know that I'm going to enjoy it. There's a lot of stuff that they have for the age system. Uh, if you're looking for fantasy, if you are a big fan of the video games Dragon Age, I would suggest go checking it out. Yeah, it flows really well with, you know, gameplay um, and as far as, you know, in the video, the console games and everything. I guess it's on the computer too. But it, it translates very well from, you know, a digital platform to a tabletop platform. So it's very, it feels very true to what you can do. Um, in the games. So basically, we got the starter box. So um, it's, I think, level like one through five. One through five, something like that, yeah. And, you know, so you're not gonna, if you decide to play a mage character, you're obviously not gonna be able to do necessarily all of the incredible spells that you get, you know, later on down the line. But that makes sense because when you're first start playing, you can do like what? Arcane Bolt. Uh, and you got some like spells that you a can fireball do. or maybe an elemental weapon but you know you don't have you know all of the skill points yet to do some of these incredible spells and incredible um, feats and tactics so it makes sense that it, it it stages you up and it really sets up you know a GM to do things like long running campaigns because you are leveling your characters you are building up you know, your emphasis as far as okay i'm this kind of spellcaster i'm taking these kinds of spells when i'm leveling up and you know doing my thing or you know taking these kinds of feats because i'm really gearing myself up to be more a rogue or a ranger you know or you know i'm trying to be more on the paladin side of things so it it really sets you up for a long-term campaign and because it's so simple and gameplay goes so quickly because the mechanics as far as, you know, doing actions is so simple. You can really get a very, essentially cinematic game very quickly, you know, really have something. You can get a story in there that can last for, for several weeks, um, you know, several sessions at least. Um, so that's why I actually gave this one a solid four um, on my rankings um, out of five. So this is one that I am fluidly familiar with as well, and I, and I forgot to have this RPG Hour do this for the Orcs Unlimited one. Um, age system is something that I know very well as well. Um, it, <clears throat> if you are like me, and you were a big True 20 fan back in the days of the Edition Wars <laughs> uh, for D&D, when people tried taking what was D&D &D and the D20 system and breaking off, 
True 20 was one of my favorite variations. Um, I honestly give the age system a solid four as well. Uh, it, it plays to my love of uh, the old True 20 system. Uh, it, it's a very good successor in my opinion um, and definitely does a lot more than what they did back then. Um, so I give that a solid four as well. And uh, so now for my top number one. My number one right now, uh, it's kind of split, um, is the Harp, also known as High Adventure Roleplay System by Iron Crown, um, and one of their older systems, the Rollmaster Standard System, which Mrs. RPG Hour was making fun of earlier. Because uh, it's also known as Chartmaster. Yes. So one of the reasons that I really do enjoy the Harp and Rollmaster family is I actually played middle earth role-playing first before i played any of those a friend of mine had it we played it for a little while and i was fascinated with the way that it worked um i i do one of two types of things i either want pretty much no skills in my rpg system or i want a plethora of skills and the main reason for that is because if if i feel like i want to do something and there's not a skill for it uh sometimes i can't I, I, I can't get to play a character I really want to, and I don't get to play characters that often, so it kind of gets to be a thing where I'm like, but I wanted to do the thing. Why can't I do the thing? And um, with Harp Rollmaster, there's a lot of skills. No. Huh? I said, because System says no. Yeah. <laughs> system says no. Um, and so when I get that no, when the Game Master is kind of, you know, a lot of times it's like, well, why don't you do this thing over here? It's kind of similar. Not really what I want to do, but I'll do that. What I liked about Rollmaster and what I like about Harp is there are a large number of skills. Pretty much everything is taken care of, and you can create a character that you're ready to play that you love. Um, Harp and Rollmaster are very different in the way that they do magic, but at the same time, it's very similar. Rollmaster has where every time you purchase a level in a spell uh, in a spell list, you get you may get an additional spell, but you also get the powered up ability of that spell list. And sometimes your spells uh, earlier spells get additional damage dice or get additional healing dice and things like that. And harp, um, whatever you're based. Uh, oh yeah, <clears throat> another interesting thing about harp and Rollmaster is that it, it's a uh, uh, a monotype system. You're, you're not. You don't have spells per day. You are casting per how many points that you have. Right, which is nice. That's one of the things that bothers me a little bit about D and D is spells per day, spells per encounter, spells per. <sighs> <laughs> so that's if what... I'm if I'm a glass cannon, I just want to make things go boom till I get tired and need to go night night. See that—that's why I enjoy the Harp and Rollmaster system. And so when I—I um, I, I got introduced to Harp. Um, well, I—I I, I got to introduced to Merp. I got—I completely forgot that it existed. A few years later, somebody introduced me to Rollmaster. After playing Rollmaster for a while, Merp popped back into my head. I went searching for it and found Harp. And Harp and Merp aren't the exact same thing, but there are some similarities that I like, and it. To me, Merp is closer to Harp than it is to Rollmaster. And if I didn't already say it, Merp is Middle Earth role playing. Um, and it's just, I like I said, to me, early D&D, early gaming for me was trying to play that Tolkien adventure. And then after I got after I got my Tolkien adventure, after I got to play all these amazing systems, I wanted other things. I wanted to play 
uh, or run in a game where it was a bunch of thief type characters trying to pull off a mega heist. Um, I mean, I got to do all these fantastic things over the years, um, and a big part of that was getting to interact with different systems. And one of the coolest things that I've gotten to do was actually play with Merp. And um, <clears throat> uh, but Harp, Harp in and of itself is a, a simplified version of Rollmaster per se. Um, instead of having 10 stats, there's 8 stats. And I know some people are very, you know, if it's got more than 6, I don't want to play it. If it's got less than 6, I don't want to play it. Or if it's got more than 4. Some people have like a set number of stats they want. Uh, for me, the way that they do stats and skills, uh, having multiple, having so many is important because most skills use two stats to derive from. They don't just use one. Right, and that makes sense because if you're actually thinking about you know, having to accomplish a task in real life, it's like, okay, well, if you're, you know, running as hard as you can and jumping with all your might up over a wall, that's not just agility. You're using strength, too, to do these tasks. So it makes sense that it's derived from two different two different stats because you're using two different factions of ability to do something. And so it complicates it because there's more but it also makes it more realistic in a sense because you can more easily use logic saying okay I'm using these skills to accomplish this particular task and where it's not necessarily something that you can have a skill in per se like you know trying to you know I don't know sweet talk your way into something you didn't take necessarily public speaking or something like that you can kind of fudge it and say well if I just do like a straight stat check for things that fall under that purview let's see what I can do um, you know makes it a little bit more free as far as how you can play your character and how you can interact with the world oh yeah <clears throat> no um, and, and that's what I definitely love that's what I definitely love about this system. Um, so it is known as Chartmaster. Harp doesn't exactly get away from the, the, the charts either. Um, what I do love about the charts, though, is that it basically pulls in the fact that you can still kill somebody at first level with a bow, with a dagger, with any weapon, if you roll well enough. And I like that. Um, in Rollmaster, each weapon has a different way that it interacts with different types of armor and I really enjoyed that. Harp simplified it to where there's one critical table and you look at that critical table and your weapon gets a bonus or a minus based on its size and based on the type of weapon it is and so there's all these little things that come into it but they simplified it down. Uh, it honestly to me is a quicker version of combat. If you've got the chart in front of you you ask what is the enemy's defense bonus, you subtract that from your roll, you know exactly how much damage you do, what other effects it has, and I just kind of like that. Um, one interesting thing about the Rollmaster and Harp system is you can cause characters to get stunned uh, just from your attack, uh, take damage, uh, they take damage, they can get stunned, they can bleed. In Harp, you God, can, you can, Harp is a lot more deadly, I'm going to say this, Harp is a lot more deadly. Potentially. One complaint I do have about Harp, and I'm sorry everybody over Iron Crown, I love everything you guys put out. 
I love Rollmaster. I love Space Master. I love Harp. I love Harp Sci-Fi. Um, I, I love RMU. I, I, I love the things that you guys are doing. Uh, I did not like the two-second combat where you are basically trying to do a little teeny tiny thing at a time. Um, I did not enjoy that. Um, I enjoy I enjoy Harp 99.9% of the group or the book. One thing I do not enjoy uh, as much as the two-second combat, all we did was add <clears throat> turn it into six seconds. We are still working with that in our other group. Our other podcast, we play Harp. Um and uh so so you'll get a lot of that and you'll see what we're talking about yeah so go over check out uh side quest heroics um there the setting for side quest heroics is a setting that i have been working on off and on for years um i am still working on certain details getting it fit into harp but for the most part it's it's a harp game um and so uh and one of the things that i really do enjoy about harp that I haven't seen that Rollmaster doesn't exactly do, but the Harp does, is that you can create half races and quarter races on your character during character creation, and it's not a template. It's not a it's not a huge fuss or mess or anything. Um, and we it can, but uh, nine times out of ten in our super in our in our um, side quest heroics campaign, we do not do this. But most of the time that I run Harp. I grab the Rollmaster books and I bring them over for the advantages and disadvantages because the way that they do it in Rollmaster is amazing. You can, during character creation, end up with uh, lycanthropy. Lycanthropy. Whatever. You can end up being... A were-creature. Yeah, and that's the other cool thing is that it's not just a werewolf. You can end up being a were-creature. You um, You could end up being a were-rabbit. Yes. Uh, one of my favorite uh, games that I've done with Harp so far is um, it was a, it was basically a Planescape game where people were going through the different realms of D&D. They were getting to know uh, Ravenloft and um, Dragonlance, or not Dragonlance, um, Ravenloft, Spelljammer, Forgotten Realms, Greyhawk, Mistara, um, Oriental Adventures. Um, I, I have a lot of 2E stuff. Um, I even grabbed the old Arabian books. And uh, I, all that was in this campaign. And uh, Mrs. RPG Hour's character, I'm going to let her describe Le Pen. She was beautiful. She was... She was... Uh... Half gnome, quarter dwarf, or half gnome, half dwarf, were rabbit, um, on her father's side, <laughs> and so she was small and slightly fuzzy and had a thing for rabbits, and um, also because she was uh, taking uh, when we were rolling her up, she was taking uh, dwarf dwarven characteristics at an advantage which takes more points to do when you're building your character um, so she had ungodly strength um, she was she was with her strength ability she could um, single-handed she could sing she could overcome the negatives from using a two-handed hammer with one hand two of them that were sized for a full-grown adult m- human 
and she was the size of a gnome. So her tracks were weird looking. And she drove a sleigh driven by her sisters, her brothers and sisters, who were dire rabbits. And um, the disadvantage, you might be wondering where that comes in, disadvantage is, on occasion, your character may succumb to the creature that they suffer the lycanthropy from uh, to their their base instincts, their their natural response to their environment. So occasionally, Le Pen would freeze and run and burrow under stuff. Because that's what rabbits do. Which is really convenient in combat. <laughs> well, not all combat, but in the bone pit, that worked out. Well, no, I, I mean very convenient, very sarcastically. Because that really is only useful in a very small amount of circumstances. So harp has a profession, and professions are somewhat similar to classes. Um, if you ever pick up harp, you'll understand why I say somewhat similar. Harp and Rollmaster have this thing where when you pick the profession, you are not 100% locked into just things that make sense for that profession. She chose a profession called uh, Warrior Mage, which is basically a spell sword and a paladin rolled into one. Right. And um, so she, she was a warrior mage uh, doing these things. Uh, but she chose things that were a little more druidic. And um, she had built herself up kind of a little more like a, a warrior druid. Yeah, I was like a, like if Mother Nature had a paladin, it was Le Pin. <laughs> because uh. <laughs> she was very much, she was hysterical to play. The things she was doing was just, were just absolutely fantastic. And I'm talking purely combat here. The roles that I was able to accomplish because of the way harp is set up when you do your damage you have a essentially a crit table you crit no matter what for the most part unless you um, fumble your weapon so the things I was doing with these hammers was just glorious I mean every murder hobo's dream were these rolls it was it was fantastic so god I miss those hammers I give it a solid 4.5 on my list, my number one fantasy RPG is also Harp. <laughs> because again, like I said, you know, we home rolled it a bit so that I could, you know, roll in the advantages, disadvantages table of Rollmaster, but you don't necessarily have to do that to still build a really fun, really dynamic character and really go full on murder hobo through a campaign or a setting um it's just it's super fun you know it's a percentile based system so you're rolling a percentage on a chart you know you're trying to hit a certain range as far as you know what exactly you're wanting to do um for the most part you have to hit over 101 which surprisingly is not that hard if you do it right. If, if you don't have the odds stacked against you. If you're doing something that is within your character's ability, within your character's purview, you're going to, to succeed typically. It's very difficult to, to really mess up. Now it does happen, and it happens spectacularly. When you do fail, you fail hard. You fail so hard, but it's great. You still en- end up enjoying yourself. But, you know, you want 
If you want to live to your fullest murder hobo potential and just be able to really just go through enemies and villains like nothing, Harp is definitely the system you want to pick up because it is it is geared towards your inner murder hobo. Well, <clears throat> depending on the, the enemies you have. Well... Yes, Cause and if of you course, get, if you get some of the if you get some of the bigger bads, um, yeah, some of the bigger bads, you have to work a little harder because, of course, it's going to be scaled based on what you're going up against. It's not going to essentially be the same the same table. It's going to be the same table for your your weapons, but it's not going to be interpreted the same way based on the enemy that you're fighting. So you're still going to be doing well and do a good shot on something, but it won't necessarily be as effective if you're fighting like what is essentially a boss that should be more difficult than, you know, a little goblin or, you know, what have you. But it's it's a really fun system. Um, of course, you know, in the other side of this podcast, uh, Side Quest Heroics, I end up essentially almost playing the antithesis of a murder hobo while still being just as scummy and skeezy because if I can avoid combat, I'm going to... A literal snake oil salesman. It's just such a fun concept, you guys. But yeah, I'm essentially useless in combat. Though I have gotten very creative with my ignite spell. <laughs> so, <laughs> when in doubt, light it on fire. <laughs> what do you give it out of a five? So out of a five, I, I didn't do the half points. I don't like half points. I like things even and neat. Um, so I gave it a solid four. I'm sure there's something out there eventually that we would get that would be like just absolutely everything we've ever wanted in an RPG, but I I leave that open. I, I don't want to say that this is like my absolute top tier RPG ever because that could change. So giving it a solid four, a very highly recommended four, is, is going to be the highest I'm going to go on on any of these scalings. But yeah, so those are kind of just a brief overview of, you know, what what we're interested in as far as fantasy role-playing games, the things that we're experienced with, the things that we would recommend to new players, old players, you know, people who are just interested in the fantasy role-playing genre. And again, those are just our recommendations. If you've got something that you would recommend to us that we should check out and play just based on the things you've heard us talk about, the things that we enjoy um, with these other systems, tweet at us, let us know, because we'll definitely pick up what we can and, and check it out and see, you know, what we think. Yeah, hit us up uh, at RPG Hour on Twitter. Uh, we don't check the Instagram often enough. We don't really do a whole lot with the Instagram as often I as we should. I didn't know we had an Instagram. I showed it to you. <laughs> Uh, we don't do as much with the Instagram as we should. Uh, we don't have a Facebook page up right now. We're working um, on it. But, you know, go over there, send us a message, let us know. Um, follow us. Give us a five-star rating. Go check out our other podcast. Uh, yeah, eventually we'll have a podcast, or we're working on setting it up, where we're having a podcast where it's going to be SideQuest Heroics. It's going to be our actual group playing harp. Um, and trying not to kill some characters that we worked really hard on, on rolling up. So, hey folks, thank you so much for joining us, uh, for our first ever episode. 
once again, we are RPG Hour. Uh, go ahead and check us out on Twitter at RPG Hour. Please, please give us as many stars as you feel we deserve on uh, iTunes. And just from us at RPG Hour. Eventually, there'll be less baby noises. <laughs> so, from Mini RPG Hour, from Mr. RPG Hour, and Mrs. RPG Hour, y'all have a good evening, a good day, and a good night.